0: Say good morning and welcome to this very special chapel that we have this morning, a journey through the Asbury Hymnal. I want to say welcome to our guests who are on campus visiting with us today. We hope it's a wonderful day for you to be here and to let you know about a couple of community priorities coming up. One of them is our um, community-wide bonfire that's happening tomorrow night. You should have received some information about that in your email. Um, It's a good night to bring family, friends, neighbors Um, Bring a lawn chair, a blanket, and come join us for that tomorrow evening. Um, And also, uh, today we get to hear once again from our seminary singers who debuted so beautifully during Kingdom Conference last week, Uh, and they want you to know that as they prepare for the special Advent service that we hold in Estes Chapel each year, they're having a special rehearsal this Saturday and inviting new folks to come and join and be part of that. Um, Well, as we get ready to worship today through this hymnal that you will find in front of you, it will be our guide. And um, when we prepared to do the renovation of Estes Chapel, as we went through the months of thinking about what this space would be like and how we would welcome future generations into worship here, we began to dream not just of the space, but of the songs within the space. Uh, Wesleyans are a people who sing their faith and we wanted to make sure and record and have a resource for you and for all of us to be able to sing that faith together. And we sought out the advice of uh, faculty and advisors to the Asbury community and gathered from all of our heritage pieces throughout our history. Um, And I was so blessed to work on that team with Dr. Jonathan Powers and Mrs. Julie Tennant and others and just saw their passion For uh, the heritage of faith and some of the newest songs within the faith to be recorded and used in a way that honors God. So, today we want to introduce the different parts and different traditions of this hymnal to our community. And we will do that in song and in liturgy. And as you've already noticed, uh, hymns can be led by band, by organ, by choir, by ensemble. We will try all of these different pieces. Um as we do our guiding scripture for the day is from Colossians 3. And I'd like to open us by praying over our day today, over our morning. Colossians 3 verses 15 through 17. Will you bow in prayer with me? Let us pray. Let your peace, O Christ, rule in our hearts since, as members of your body, we were called to peace. And make us thankful, Lord. Let your message, O Christ, dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish one another this morning with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from your Holy Spirit, singing to you, Lord, with gratitude in our hearts. And God, whatever we do, whether it's in word or deed, Help us to do it all in your name, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. I'd like to invite Dr. Jonathan Powers, our professor of worship, to come and introduce the chapel for us.
1: The Lord be with you. It's so good to be with you this morning as we take a journey together through this Asbury hymnal. What an amazing worship resource our community has been given through this hymnal. Of course, we know that worship is more than music, but we also acknowledge that music is an important corporate act of our communal worship. In fact, the role of music in the life of the faith community is part of what Paul is addressing in the Colossian passage that uh, Jessica just prayed for us a moment ago. In the passage, we hear Paul exhorting the Colossian church to do three things. One, to let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. Two, to be thankful. And three, to let the word of Christ dwell richly in them. Paul qualifies his final command there by explaining specifically how the colossians are to allow the word of Christ to dwell in them by teaching, by admonishing, and by singing. He tells them that they are to teach and warn with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and they are to sing to God with gratitude in their hearts. So then, what do Paul's words to the Colossians have to do with a hymnal? Well, I'm glad I asked myself that question. (laughs) There are three concepts that I briefly want to examine this morning that I believe both highlight the general necessity of hymnals and also provide a rationale for the continued use of hymnals today, especially as a hymnal assists in allowing the word of Christ to dwell richly in us here at Asbury Theological Seminary. So number one, Hymnals provide a musical canon. Hymnals provide a canon of song that establishes a communal identity. There's an axiom often used among liturgical scholars that states, tell me what you sing and I'll tell you what you believe. At the heart of this statement is the claim that our liturgy forms us and guides us as both revelation and response is made known to the Triumph God through our liturgy. The words we use in worship both present God's message to the congregation and also give the congregation words of expression to God. In particular, the songs we sing tell us about God, his love, his work, his character, his nature. Likewise, our songs place words of prayer and praise on our lips to God. We currently live in a digital age where information is shared in a very fast-paced manner, and unfortunately, it has become very easy for theology and doctrine to run amok without any kind of authoritative voice being allowed to speak into what is shared or published. A hardbound canon of hymns goes against the grain of the times, claiming with authority, here is what we believe. It's not exhaustive, but it is representative. Found in the pages of this hymnal is lyrical explanation of the content of our belief here at Asbury Theological Seminary. Through its use in corporate worship and personal devotions, our goal is for Wesleyan theology to be both proclaimed and known. By handing someone this hymnal, we can say, this is who we are, and here is what we believe. Number two, hymnals provide a musical catechesis. An established canon of song is important, not only for identifying communal belief, but also for teaching it. Thus, hymnals are catechetical in nature. Undeniably, hymns teach us theology. There are a number of ways by which a hymnal can teach us and a number of aspects of the Christian faith that it does teach, such as the nature and character of God, the work of God's grace, the movement of the church calendar, the beauty of the sacraments, the call to service and missions, The Asbury Hymnal introduces a hymn collection that traces the journey of an individual through the Christian faith. Over the course of our time together this morning, we're going to explore the internal organization of this hymnal, and we hope that you begin to see how each of the hymns and liturgies included in the Asbury Hymnal were carefully selected because of their catechetical value. A bound collection such as this shows intentionality in passing down the faith so that the word of Christ might dwell richly in us. Of course, many other hymns and songs could have been included, but this collection is a way of saying to the Asbury community, here are the songs we want to be certain you have proclaimed, dwelled upon, and know. Number three, hymnals provide a musical communion. Finally, since the primary purpose of a hymnal is to be a bound collection of song for use in corporate worship, A significant characteristic of a hymn book is the way it fosters a shared communal voice. Hymnals allow a congregation to literally be on the same page when proclaiming prayer and praise to God. A hymnal provides standard words, melodies, and harmonies for the whole community to join in together to participate in doxology. Music is a natural act that brings the church together in one voice. Thus, congregational song has a powerful way of allowing each individual voice to contribute to a singular, unified sound. Since the act of singing is a glorious example of the church operating as the body of Christ, a hymnal is a great aid in fostering dynamic congregational singing. John and Charles Wesley ardently believed that the inner experience of salvation and the witness of the Holy Spirit at work in a person's life was manifest through outward praise of God. Singing was an important way such outward expression of faith was made manifest, which is why the Wesleys gave the early Methodists a resource for proclaiming their faith of love and love of God corporately through song. In fact, on the one-year anniversary of his own conversion experience, Charles Wesley composed a hymn we know as "O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Charles wrote the hymn as a reflection of his own inner experience of salvation and outward expression of faith, serving to point others towards rightful praise and proclamation of God. Since the very first Methodist hymnal was published, this hymn has almost always been placed as the very first hymn in the Methodist hymn books. Therefore, keeping with the Wesley tradition, the Asbury hymnal begins with O 4,000 Tongues to Sing as its very first song. So as people who know the great redeeming love of God at work in our own lives, if you would pull out your hymnal... And let us stand together and sing hymn number one, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. remain standing um, and uh, keep your hymnals out. Uh, For the remainder of the service, you're going to keep your hymnal in front of you. Uh, We're going to turn to the front material here in our hymnal. Uh, Because a hymnal is understood to be a resource for canon, catechesis, and communion, the material in a hymnal is limited not only to songs, but also includes liturgical components significant to the Christian faith. So, seeing this front material here that begins on Roman numeral X or, or Vii, so this is the Roman numeral section, Roman numeral seven, uh, you'll see an introduction and uh, uh, written by our Dean of Chapel, Jessica Legron, and an introduction to uh, why we sing and the importance of singing. And then after that, you'll find some creeds that have been included in this hymn, in this hymnal, beginning at X one, um, so Roman numeral eleven. You'll see the Apostles' Creed. This creed that has been an ancient creed used um, throughout the history of the church, really a baptismal creed that affirms our faith in the triune God, um, allows us to make that affirmation of faith together. And then uh, flipping to the next page, you'll see the Nicene Creed. Um, and these are the ecumenical creeds that we have um, incorporated here. and the, the, the creeds that bind us together, that, that proclaim a, a common faith, among the church, despite our denominational differences, saying this is what we believe, this is who we are, this is what it means to be the church, and this is who our triune God is. So we see the Nicene Creed, this creed that was developed um, in those early centuries in response to the Arian heresies that were proclaimed, to to hone in on the sonship of Christ. What does it mean for Christ to be God and to be part of the Trinity there? And then on the next page, you'll see um, the Athanasian Creed, and that one might be a little different, and that's not one of our common creeds that we say, but it's still a very important one that came out of those, uh, those early church um, debates on um, who is God, what is the nature of the Trinity, and, uh, and this one in particular, um, again, looking at the sonship of Christ and, and the work and role of the Holy Spirit. And then turning um, after that, we'll see that we have prayers included. Um, I felt that these prayers were important uh, for us to, to include not just the creeds, but the prayers that might sink in and dwell in our hearts as well. Um, so we see uh, the Lord's prayers included um, after the Te Deum, but we're going to stop on the te deum, te deum for a moment. So XVII, Roman, num- Roman numeral 17, there. Um, this prayer, Te Deum Laudamus, is it's just those opening words. We praise you, O God, in Latin. Um, this is, a, again, an ancient prayer, a majestic prayer from the fourth century that combines important elements of adoration, supplication and thanksgiving, joining the church in heaven to the church on earth in singing God's praises. It's significant as a historic liturgical prayer and as a tribute to the majesty of the Trium God. And that's why we felt it was important to include in our Asbury hymnal. So let us join together in reciting these powerful words as Rachel comes and leads us in reading the Deum,
2: We praise you, O God. We acknowledge you to be the Lord. All the earth, earth now worships you, the Father everlasting. To you, all the angels cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. To you, cherubim and seraphim, unceasingly proclaim, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of Sabbath, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. The glorious company of the apostles praise you. The goodly fellowship of the prophets praise you. The noble army of martyrs praise you. The holy church throughout all the world does acknowledge you. The Father of an infinite majesty, your honorable, true, and only Son, also the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. You are the King of glory, O Christ. You are the everlasting Son of the Father. When you took it upon yourself to deliver humankind, you humbled yourself to be born of a virgin. When you had overcome the sharpness of death, you opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. You sit at the right hand of God in the glory of the Father. We believe you will come to be our judge. We therefore pray you help your servants, whom you have redeemed with your precious blood. Make them to be numbered with your saints in glory everlasting. O Lord, save your people and bless your heritage. Govern them and raise them up forever. Every day we magnify you and we worship your name forever and ever vouchsafe, O Lord, to keep us from sin this day. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have Have mercy upon us. Let your mercy be upon us, O Lord, for our hope is in you. O Lord, in you I have trusted. Let me never be put to shame. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated.
3: Good morning. Wasn't that powerful to use words that were written in the fourth century and to say we lift our voices with theirs from the fourth century and say those same words of praise and glory to God? That's a very powerful thing. In fact, this whole hymnal is such a treasure. I want you to realize what a treasure this is because This is containing material that connects us with people for 2,000 years who have worshipped God. Isn't that powerful? That we are joined with them using their words of praise from as early as the first century all the way through to 2015. (laughs) There are things in this hymnal that represent that whole span of time. And we are joining, through this hymnal, we are joining with their words of praise through the ages. Um, And it's also our sung theology as Dr. Powers said. Now he mentioned the word catechesis. Um, The actual arrangement of the hymnal itself is kind of a tacit catechesis because the first 118 hymns are arranged in um, the, according to the church year, the format of the church year. And therefore it's instructing us about our redemption history. Our salvation narrative is laid out there from, from hymns number 1 to 118. And so, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take kind of a whirlwind tour through the church year, and we're going to touch down once in each season just to give you a little glimpse of that catechesis. But there's so much more. So, I hope that someday you'll, you'll take this hymn and just spend some time with it. It is such a beautiful catechesis of the church year. Um, some of you may not be from traditions that even know what I'm talking about when I say that, so if you will turn with me first to the table of contents at the very beginning. Um, I just want to give an overview of what I mean when I talk about the church year. The scriptures are full of rhythms. God himself ordained rhythms in our lives, the rhythm of Sabbath, the ryth- rhythm of the feasts in the Old Testament, that there, there is this... Um, rhythm of walking through um, the life of Christ in this instance that the church saw as a really important catechetical tool, that every year we would walk through our salvation history through the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ and the coming of the Spirit. So the church year has traditionally always begun with Advent, but no hymnal begins with um, come thou long expected Jesus. There's always this first part that actually sets the frame of who God is in just within Himself as our Creator, our Provider in, in His Triune nature, and so that actually it, it, we are calling Initium here. It's actually part of the Church Year in the sense that it sets the framework. So Initium just means beginnings. What is our starting place? And our starting place is to to reflect on who God is in, the, in his being. So, Initium begins and then Advent is when we wait for the coming of Christ. You see where I am here, I'm going through the, the table of contents. Advent, we're waiting for the coming of Christ. We have Christmas Canticles, which are actually the Magnificat, the Benedictus, the Nuc Minis, from the actual passages of Luke that have been set in, in verse to be sung. Um, then Christmas Epiphany, the the time of the revealing or the manifestation of Christ in all of his glory in his flesh in the world. Then Lent as we prepare for the passion, those 40 days um, prior to the passion of Christ of preparation and reflection upon his work for us, culminating in Palm Sunday and Holy Week um, uh, sections of that um, liturgical year there. And then Easter, the resurrection, ascension 40 days later, as Christ um, is ascended into heaven. We have hymns about the ascension. And then 50 days after Easter is, of course, Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit. And that takes us into a whole season called Ordinary Time when we sing all the rest of the hymns. <laughs> and um, and we, we just go through the different categories, which Dr. Powers will be leading us through a little later. Um, but culminating in Christ the King, it's the Sunday just before Advent begins again where we affirm that Christ is Lord over all. So that's kind of a little overview of the church year. So let's just real quick start our tour. Um, Turn with me to um, number 24 and 25. We're in the section of Initium. This is that section of beginnings. And I just want to say a little bit about these two hymns. And one of the benefits, you'll notice by the way, at the top of the page, you see the little word Initium there. That's letting you know which season of the church year we're in. Um, if you just look at these two hymns and just your eye takes it in as a whole you can see in one glance that these are hymns that are trinitarian right so you see verse one um, we believe in one true god then verse two we believe in jesus christ three we confess the holy ghost in the same with wesley's hymn maker in whom we live uh, maker incarnate deity spirit of holiness and then eternal triune god this is one of the beautiful things about a, a print hymnal is that you can see the structure of the whole hymn at one time and you realize this is a Trinitarian hymn just uh, just by your eye taking all that in. Um, secondly, you'll see historical information at the top. You'll see who wrote the words, who wrote the music. That's really important because it, it lets us see that that number 24 was written back in the 17th century, in 1668. This... this Um, proclamation of the Trinity was was a very old one there and then Wesley of course um, it's good to know when we're singing a Wesley hymn Um, and then at the bottom there are statements on all of these hymns you'll see little bottom statements that give some little uh, reflection about either the the authorship or the theology of that hymn or sometimes just a little historical note Um, there's one in here that's written by Thomas Chisholm who was converted at a camp meeting by H.C. Morrison, by our founder. Isn't that great? When you sing Great is Thy Faithfulness, and you say, wow, this this hymn was written, inspired by H.C. Morrison, our founder. Um, You'll also see the Collect for Purity there from the Book of Common Prayer. Throughout the hymn though, we have some prayers, some scriptures along the way, which of course make it a worshipful, not just for singing, but for um, reflection and meditation. So, okay, so that's Initium. I want you, we're going to jump right on over. 37 to 39 is in the section on Advent. We usually think of Advent as all of those hymns that prepare us for the coming of Christ. Um, And they are um, all through the Advent section. But these particular ones, 37 and 38, are the same text with two different tunes. And 39, The King Shall Come. These are about the second Advent, the second coming of Christ. So those are also part of the Advent season. Okay, moving on into Christmas, 46 and 48. Turn over to 46, and I told you we're on a whirlwind here. Okay, 46. These are are two Wesley hymns that are so rich in theology of the Incarnation. And I just want you to realize that when we sing Christmas carols, which we love, but they are so rich and full of theology. So just real quick, look with me in the second verse, halfway down, number 46, glory be to God on high. um, I'm on the second verse, the last two lines. Listen to this beautiful phrase, these two phrases. Emptied of his majesty, of his dazzling glories shorn, being's source begins to be, and God himself is born. Isn't that powerful? I mean, there's enough theology in that. Um, to just preach your whole sermon. <laughs> um, 48, hark the herald angels sing. Um, also, all three verses that we're familiar with are so rich in incarnation theology. But look at this fourth verse that's not usually in hymnals, and we have it in ours. Look at this Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise, the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. That first and second theology, uh, second Adam theology from Romans 5, right there in that one verse. So when you sing Hark the Herald, from now on, sing all four verses. Okay, jumping over to Epiphany. Number 64, I want to point out 64. The season of Epiphany, this is when Christ is being made known, being made manifest um, to the world. And just in this one hymn, and sixty four. If you are going to be in a church leading worship or a pastor, you should sing this during Epiphany because it traces through all the main themes of the season of Epiphany. You have the um, the star guiding the wise men. You have the the um, baptism at at the Jordan when um, the the Father speaks and the Holy Spirit descends on Christ. Um, then you have Christ coming at Cana in Galilee where he first manifested his glory in that first miracle. Then you have him teaching, forgiving, healing, and and then finally verse four, the transfiguration and the glory of Christ in the transfiguration. This hymn traces us all the way through from the wise men to the transfiguration and Christ being manifest in all of his glory. And the transfiguration, of course, leads us right into Lent. So if you turn the page... We're in Lent. Okay, um, let's jump to 78 and 79. I just want to point out um, the beauty, we have so many Lenten hymns in here and they're gorgeous the hymns. But on 78 and 79, you have an American folk hymn um, in, in What Wondrous Love Is This? and then you have How Deep the Father's Love written in 1995 by um, Stuart Townend. Just a nice contrast um, of authorship. I want you to see that. We're gonna see it again in Easter here coming up. 94, 95, Easter. <laughs> Um, look at 94 and 95 of course all of your favorite Easter hymns are in here you know thine be the glory and Christ the Lord is risen today and up from the gravy rose they're all in here I'm just pointing out some things you might not have noticed okay 94 95 94 written in the sixth century don't you love that this is a hymn about Christus Victor Christ being the victory, uh, being the victor over death and over Satan and accomplishing that battle. So this is in the 6th century and then right across the page we have "O oh, Praise the Name, which is one of our favorites here at Asbury to Sing and the band's going to lead us in that right now, um, written in 2015. So isn't that great? Something from the 6th century and 2015 right here juxtaposed in our Asbury hymnal. Let's stand and sing Oh Praise the Name. Okay. We're going to pick up the pick up the pace. <laughs> Number 100, we're at the Ascension now. Christ has risen. We're at the Ascension. Um 100 and 101, I love this. Again, it's another juxtaposition. We have uh, 100, this is an older text that was written by Charity Lee Bancroft. If you look at the little information there, words and music. But Vicky Cook Took those old words and put it to a new tune which we know and we love and we sing here before the throne of God above using a new tune to bring it back into the life of the church and I just love that Uh, on on the other page 101 Timothy Dudley Smith is a wonderful wonder contemporary hymn writer and he wrote this risen Lord in splendor seated Um, this is the the ascension of Christ to be seated at the right hand of the father that we recite with the Apostles Creed but look at the last stanza there the the last line you have, look at the things that that it summarizes about the ascension. Christ forever, Son and Savior, reigns in triumph. Then the next verse sends his spirit on his own to be with his people. The the next verse, he's interceding. um, And then the last verse, he's sovereign, universal Lord. He's reigning. So I just love that, how it just summarizes all those things about the ascension right there. Um, And and then if you flip the page, 102, um, the third verse of that actually tells about how we are also ascended with christ like paul says in ephesians we're seated in heavenly places and you see in that third verse there we sit in heavenly places there with christ we're there mighty lord the last line mighty lord in your ascension we by faith behold our own isn't that beautiful okay that's ascension and then finally pentecost uh, not finally, but almost finally. Um, <laughs> 109. Turn to 109. We're right in, in this wonderful season right now of talking about the spirit-filled life for this whole year. And 109 is a hymn that we've just started to learn. It's a new hymn uh, by Stuart Townend and Keith Getty, and we've sung it once, so I think we'll be singing it a lot more as the year goes on. So I just wanted to point out that that's a beautiful prayer um, as part of our spirit-filled life. Um, and then finally Christ the King, the, the culmination we have all hail the power of Jesus name and crown him with many crowns and lift high the cross. All these wonderful hymns of Christ the King. Um, but look at 117. We're right here at the end of the, we're finally coming to the end of this, uh, church year catechesis. 117 is an unusual, unexpected hymn for Christ the King. We're, we're expecting crown him with many crowns and all hail the power But 117 walks us through the entire kenosis passage in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, and it's beautiful, and I hope that we'll sing that. It's to a great tune uh, by Vaughn Williams, and um, so I hope that someday we'll be singing that in chapel, just taking us through that beautiful passage uh, verse by verse um, from Philippians 2. And then Jesus shall reign where e'er the sun, Isaac Watts. What a great way to end the church year <laughs> uh, hymns. So um, if you turn the page, we're then going to start, after the church year, we're going to start these categories or these sections of hymns. And Dr. Powers is going to be taking us on a blitz through those. But let's just stand and sing 119, verses 1 and 4. Verses 1 and 4, Christ has made the sure foundation. This is, as you'll notice, a hymn from the 7th century, and here we are still proclaiming that Christ is the sure foundation of our faith.
4: Please let's remain standing and turn to Roman, Roman 15, for a responsive reading of the Athanasian Creed. Whosoever will be saved, before all things is necessary, that they hold the Catholic faith. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and in Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. There is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. But God of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory of the people, the majesty of the eternal. Such as the Father is, such, as, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit, the Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet, they are not three eternals, but one eternal. And in the Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But all three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal, so that in all things the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is is to be worshipped. He therefore that will be saved must think thus of the Trinity. the rational soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the quick and the dead, at his coming all will rise again with their bodies, and shall give account for their own works. And they that have done good shall go into life everlasting, and they that have done evil into everlasting fire. This is the Catholic faith,
1: which is we believe faithfully we cannot be saved. You may be seated. This is the Catholic faith the universal faith, the common faith we share, which except we believe faithfully, we cannot be saved. That is what this hymnal is about. Our shared faith proclaimed in the scriptures, confirmed in the church's tradition, known in our own testimonies and testimonies of those through the church's history, set to song. So as we continue this flyby look at the internal organization of the Asbury Hymnal, Um, We remember that this hymnal has been set within a liturgical backdrop of the historic Christian faith. Um, We've seen that the primary importance is the character activity of God, um, which begins the hymnal. Then it advances through soteriological and Christological categories organized by the church calendar. Um, And then it concludes with these sections that address Christian life with God and one another. As Mrs. Tennant shared, these are the songs usually during ordinary time. And, and so we sing these a lot, understanding ordinary time, um, not as common time, plain time, unspecial time, but ordinary that has to do with our ordination as the church. We are ordained now to continue the ministry of Christ. And so, beginning at, song, at uh, Psalm, at <laughs> Song Hymn, um, number 119, um, as, as we just sang, um, we see these topics that come up in the hymnal. So, we're just going to look at a few of these topics quickly. Um, we see topics such as assurance in Christ, God's love, grace and trust, holiness, community in Christ, prayer, Eucharist, mission, things like this. And so we're going to just look very briefly at a few hymns here um, in the hymnal. Um, So if you'll turn to 141 to begin with. Here's another place where we have a hymn set to two different tunes, a very familiar and uh, well-beloved hymn, Rock of Ages Clefs for Me. One of the reasons we have done this to two tunes is um, because when we put text to different um, um, uh, music, it paints the text a little differently. And so um, we're not going to sing this together, but I'm going to ask Mrs. Tennant to just play one verse of each of these for us. You can read along and see how the text uh, comes across a little differently dependent upon the music that it's set to. beautiful so we can see the the words come across a little differently depending on the the music that we set to it but continuing to look at our topics um, uh, be remiss of me not to have us turn to page 166 um, where we see the Asbury fight song which is named in the bottom material Asbury seminary's fight song um, and can it be that I should gain um, which we have already sung this year and, and will we'll surely sing many more times here if you flip the page from that, uh, you'll see on 167 a hymn called The Shouting Hymn, and uh, this is an important hymn that, that we wanted to include because uh, this is a hymn written by Richard Allen, who was uh, the first ordained black man in the Methodist Episcopal Church and the founder of the African, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the first independent black denomination in the United States. So we thought it was important to, uh, to, to include from that heritage as well. Um, this hymn that he has set, that is a, a wonderful hymn, I encourage you to read the text sometime to that. Um, we even have a chapel here on our campus named after him. So if you turn again um, one page over, we'll see Great is Thy Faithfulness on 169. And at the bottom, what Mrs. Tennant shared with us earlier, the author of this hymn, Thomas Chisholm, was converted as a teenager at a camp meeting led by Asbury Seminary's founder, Henry Clay Morrison. So a piece of trivia there, but also something that speaks to our heritage um, moving to 2.11, uh, we we come to the uh, prayers section. So we, we see community in Christ and, and God's love, these other topics um, in the, uh, the hymnal. But we also have these prayers. And in 2.11, um, we have Be Now My Vision. Uh, but what I really want to point out is hymn 2.21. Um, point this out really uh, briefly here. A Prayer for Healing, 2.21. This is a very special hymn for us to include because this hymn was written by Dr. Kenneth Kinghorn, who um, was who the professor of church history and historical theology here at Asbury Seminary from 1965 to 2016. Um, and it, it, it's just so special to have a hymn that he wrote, one of our own professors wrote, included in this hymnal. So you can see that there, uh, flip the page over one, and uh, one of Wesley's greatest texts, in fact, my own personal favorite of Wesley's, um, Come, O Thou Traveler Unknown, um, a beautiful hymn that looks at Wesley's own conversion experience through the lens of uh, Jacob um, wrestling the angel. Um, and then we see other uh, hymns uh, such as uh, the Eucharist hymns that begin at um, 239 um, and uh, um, pilgrimage songs and, and things like this um, that, that are great. Uh, but, uh, but as we see, there's a great variety of topics that are covered Um, in the Christian faith here, in this hymnal. The hymns initiate, they guide us, they teach us the Christian faith, and they also envision the final hope of Christianity, um, Christian perfection and life in the eschatological kingdom of God. There's a beautiful hymn that holds all of this together um, in in, in a very fascinating way. Um, Hymn number 160, which is, uh, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And so we're going to sing this together. You may remain seated Um, as we sing this together. But if you would turn to 160, we will sing the first and last verse of Oh the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. As we wrap up, if you would turn to, uh, to number 239. Um, I want to take a moment and, uh, and, and look at this Eucharist hymn. Uh, this is a hymn that was written by uh, Bob Stamps, the former dean of chapel here at, um, at Asbury Seminary. Um, an important hymn. Uh, we, we have a whole section on the Eucharist here because we as a community are a community that comes regularly to the table together. We felt it was important for us to have songs that we can sing as we come to the table. And this is a wonderful one, this is a beautiful one that our own Bob Stamps has, uh, has, has, has written and, uh, and that we do hope to sing at some point here. We're gonna have uh, Mrs. Tennant just play through it once and, and ask you to read through these words as we hear this text, as we wrap up this morning. So uh, um, let us, let us uh, focus on these words as we hear this played. Thank you. Look at verse six in particular. I think this really does sum up um, who we are as a community and what we desire, even with this hymnal. Worship in the presence of the Lord with joyful songs and hearts in one accord, and let our host at table be adored. God and man at table are set down. And finally, if you would turn to, uh, to number 273. We close this hymnal with uh, what are called Vesper hymns, uh, hymns that are to be sung at the close of day, part of uh, a liturgical tradition, um, certain Vesper services where this would happen. Uh, we dedicate ourselves to God, we commit ourselves and our lives to His care. And so we see here uh, 273, the O oh, Gladsome light." This is an important hymn because this is one of the earliest hymns recorded outside of the Bible that is still in use today um, from the first century or second century. Um, Part of the beauty of this hymnal is that it allows us to join our voices with voices across the ages as we proclaim prayer and praise to God. We are connected to the historic church. We are connected to the universal church. Their words still teach us and admonish us today. We still sing these songs with gratitude in our hearts to God. And so as we hear this hymn today, this ancient hymn, the O Gladsome Light, and as we continue to use this hymnal in our services of worship here at Asbury, may the word of Christ dwell richly In us, as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in our hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to
5: God.
0: As we close this service together, we thought it would be appropriate for our benediction to be a song and a prayer. So if you'll turn with me to hymn number 212, the prayer, May the mind of Christ my Savior, words written by Kate Wilkinson in 1925. Um, We'll sing this, we'll hear it first. The first verse, the choir will sing, and then we will sing with them on the second verse, the congregation. The third verse will be women. The fourth, men, and we'll close with the fifth verse as we sing all together. We stand as we sing this blessing over the service. peace to sing and serve the Lord.